This is the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks for tuning in. You're going to hear my conversation with Mandy Ellefson. She is an expert when it comes to removing yourself from your business and really getting to a more scalable state, if you will. (laughs) I think a lot of her thinking and writing and talking and coaching and consulting really has a ton of overlap with the kind of stuff that I've been writing and teaching about these past few years, whether it's about productized services, systems, processes, people, hiring. I think she tends to focus on uh, larger companies and we really got into that and how she kind of structures her coaching and and the types of advice and common pitfalls that companies and founders that she works with tend to deal with at various levels going from you know making 75k a year to 500k a year to over seven figures a year there are definitely different challenges at each of those stages and we did a pretty deep dive into a lot of that stuff so without further ado here is my conversation with mandy ellison enjoy All right, I'm here with Mandy Ellison. Mandy, how's it going? It's going great, Brian. Thanks for joining me today. I, you know, as we were talking offline, your name just continues to come up on my radar from recommendations from other people that I know or kind of seeing you in similar circles that entrepreneurial communities that we're in. So it's just great to kind of catch up with you. And I'm excited to talk to you because I feel like a lot of the stuff that you write about, that you speak about and consult and coach on has a lot of overlap with the kind of stuff that I've been focused on myself for the last few years. So around removing yourself, scaling up, building a more systematic business. So let's get into it. Um, why don't we start off? Like, how do you, how do you introduce yourself today? Like, what do you kind of do? What's the elevator pitch, if you will? <laughs> well, what I do is I help service businesses and agencies. I help them free up 10 extra hours per week and then use that time to really scale their business and make it run without them. So the business hands off CEO kind of says it in a nutshell exactly what it is that we do. But the biggest thing is to, is to really find that time freedom and to grow your services in a way that is scalable and um, in a way that, that, frankly, very few people actually know how to do. I like the way that you put that. You, you help founders free up 10 extra hours. That's very specific. Is that the way that you just explain it? Or is that actually a specific thing that you track? That, like, okay, now you have 10 hours. <laughs> it's a very specific thing. Uh, it's a process that I developed over the years. It's become one of the main reasons why people actually are first intrigued and are interested in working with me and the hands-off CEO. But it's the very first thing that we do when we work with clients is we have a process that helps them find one, two, or three tweaks that's going to help them find 10 extra hours. So this is not about some kind of productivity overhaul, but it's about finding that one tweak that's going to make the biggest difference. And um, what I see tend to happen is that actually that one tweak will shift so many other things. What happens is a very effortless transformation. And that's what enables you to have that time to then implement some of the things that you and I talk about with um scaling up a service and stepping back from it and having it run without you. Very nice. And so how do you actually do that sort of consulting? Is it a coaching service? Is it like, how does that structure? My model is a combined model. So it is coaching and it is, it is consulting and it is a system and it's all of those things. So in the market, you'll see lots of products about different things and those are great, but you know, that doesn't necessarily help you actually get the outcome. You can do it and you may or may not be able to actually implement it on your own. But it's great because there are some people who need to, I know you have some great products around that too, don't you, Brian? 
well, I guess the main thing is productize, which is, you know, kind of a course about productized services. And I also do a bit of coaching through that as well, but I don't think I do it quite as extensively as you do in terms of the, the coaching service. Yeah. And I've looked at, you, at your product before and it looks excellent. And I do coaching as part of it. It's part of the reason why is because I like it. It's fun. The reason why I do the work that I do is because it's like creating a movement that's changing people's lives. And that's the impact that I'm making on the world. And um, coaching businesses is not the most scalable model. I'll tell you that right now. So if you're like looking for like the most scalable, easy to grow business model, this is not it. But, you know, I have been growing it over the years, though, and it's been very interesting because I've taken my own process and I've taken it to a whole step and another step further because I work with agencies and service businesses where they're very knowledge based, but they're actually doing a done for you service, which I think is actually easier to productize than it is like a coaching where you're actually utilizing your brain for it. But I've had some real breakthroughs around this too. And what's come out of this is my own client success map for scale to freedom. And there is, it's it's a checklist and there's checkpoints at each one of these steps where I and my coaches can come in and say, okay, this step right here, you like for fine time now, I was just talking about, we're finding one, two or three tweaks. Now I have a whole system for, you know, how to get that and how to run that call and that is how I am. I currently am doing this. I'm scaling this part of my business and then making it run without me. So you're actually taking what very few coaches are able to do is actually bring the coaching model beyond just yourself or you as the expert coach. And now you're kind of growing the team there. It, it is interesting because we've had a couple of other guests on this show who also the primary way they make a living is through their coaching services. And as I said, I, I've done a bit. And actually this year, like literally this month, I'm rolling out a, um, I've always offered like the one-time coaching sessions because I felt like that's like a good chunk of time. Like I could offer a lot of value and I don't have to commit myself to a ton of, you know, one-on-one coaching services. But I have had requests for more ongoing work. So now I'm rolling out just a six-month kind of time boxed program. And even that I'm just limiting to like one group. And it is the type of thing that I actually really do enjoy. And I kind of like that it's not super scalable. It's something that I can just kind of dip in and out of and have a lot of fun with it and talk to, you know, like minded folks. But it, I do want to kind of hear about how you've been able to scale that up. Another person that comes to mind is Brendan Dunn. I know that through his training programs, he's been able to bring in other coaches. And I was in on like one group of that to coach like some of his students, basically. So he brought in like a group of 10 other people to take on sessions. And that's kind of an interesting way to, to scale it up as well. Uh, maybe that's kind of what you've been doing. Yeah, I love Brennan's model. Definitely have been a business that I've looked at and modeled what he's doing very well, I think, that he's actually adding quality to, he's adding more opportunities and more value for his clients as he's stepping out. So that is something that I'm always looking at when I'm helping my clients, like, you know, to systematize. What that oftentimes means is that it's devaluing the service and it is pulling value out of it and making it be more like a commoditized product. And that's something that I don't want to see happen. And I'm not saying that it's not, sometimes that is the right fit for a company and sometimes it's not. And, um, I'm always looking at ways where you can add more value. And I think Brennan Dunn has, has done an excellent job of adding more value as he's removed himself from it. Totally. So, you know, again, we're going to kind of hop back and forth between take us behind the scenes of your coaching services and 
the stuff that you actually coach your students on. So I'd like to dig into that a little bit. Like who is the most common or most ideal client that you work with? Like what type of business are they in? Where are they at when they start with you? Where do they tend to grow to? So where they're at when they start with me is ideally multiple six figures on up to, you know, multiple seven figures. That's my most common client that I work with. They have a service company. So um, about 80% of my clients have marketing agencies. That just tends to be the people who I've attracted. I really like working with them. And I used to have a small marketing company myself, so I really understand the market very well. But then I work with different kinds of services like consulting companies, like engineering type of businesses. Anything B2B is a really good fit for me. And some B2C stuff here and there if they have a good sales process in place. So they tend to already have grown to some sort of team or like an agency when they start with you? They're, they're not like solo consultants. They have to have a team. I don't work with solo people because the mindset shift that has to happen where you have hired employees, even if it's contractors, but permanent, you have to be working with permanent people. There's a mindset shift that happens between solo and when you have a team. Have you experienced, do you, have you seen that too? Uh, yes. I have grown teams quite a bit over the last few years. And I think for me, it's always been a a very gradual process. Like early on, I would kind of contract out to a, another freelancer or two. And then a little after that, I had a SaaS business with like four or five people. And now I have a team of like 20 plus. But like it, it's something that you just gradually become more and more comfortable with over time, at least for me. I think you're right. And the reason why I, I don't work with people who are solo, just because not that there's anything wrong with that. It's a great business model if it's what you, if it's for you. But it, it is a, a very big hurdle to go from like that zero to one. Like I do meet a lot of people who are solo and they're afraid of even just contracting out like a small piece of a project to someone. Yes. And I learned several years ago, I mean, that that wasn't the company that I was going to be able to help because I'm, I'm always looking at. I'm telling my clients to do this too, is like, look at for where you can add the most value, where you can create the transformations as quickly as possible with the least amount of resources as possible. And I can create if a company that's like half a million to between, between half a million and a million. That's like, that's cake. I go in there for an hour. We change a few things around and a company of that size, at least will be able to add on hundred thousand dollars from a plan for that. And for me, that's really easy. And also at that level too, that is quite scalable within the context of, um, the, it's not very complex. Now, once you start getting into like multiple million dollar companies, that's where, you know, I'm starting to work with operations managers and, um, you know, maybe there's salesmen. So, so we're working with more of the team and it gets more complex. I was going to ask like who on the team do you typically work? Is it usually the CEO, the founder, or is it? It's usually the founder. But as the company grows, though, what ends up happening is that, you know, maybe there's that one person that they want to groom into becoming their operations manager. And that can happen anywhere between like half a million and a couple million. It's like a lot of times that's at the stage for like a, like a service type of business. So sometimes I will work with them and I'll groom them and, and help them. But I've made the decision that where I want to be focusing most of my business, like all of my marketing and where I'm trying to grow my business is in that range of with uh, multiple six figure and early seven figure companies. And then they, they grow too. the company, those growth companies grow and they're, they're still my clients and they will be in the multiple million, but that's different because they grew with me. So it's still more scalable. So I'm always looking at the kinds of clients that I can work with that are going to work in the best way for my system and 
you know, I, I can get results with, but it's also going to fit my lifestyle and, you know, all these different things that I'm thinking about. I still work with those clients, those one-on-one -on -one clients, but I take few of them on and I have to really like them because <laughs> I'm going to, if I'm going to spend a lot of time with them, they have to be someone who's fun to work with. Of course. Yeah. I think that probably goes for almost any type of client relationship, team relationship for sure. So I'm curious, a company that comes to you, a couple six figures, what are they struggling with? What causes them to come to you and what are kind of like the low hanging fruit first things that you almost always kind of deal with these types of companies? So, um, some of the things that they're dealing with is that they're working like 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And it's just the company's eating them alive and they can't grow the company. The founder themselves, the founder themselves. Yeah. And they might want to grow the company and they know just they can't because there's no hours left in the day, or maybe they're just like, I just got to get relief first before I even consider that. But um, in order to do that, a lot of times they need to get this company running more without them. As you know, you have to grow the revenue a little bit so that you have the money to hire those people. And they know that, but they're just kind of trapped in that place of working so much that they actually can't really impact it. Um, another one is maybe their services were really great when they were the one doing a lot of it, but they bring on team and then it's starting the quality is going down. And what's happening is for them to keep the quality up they have to keep jumping in and fixing everything. The client always says, no, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. So like, they're still like, they have a team, they're growing the company, but the problem is, is now they have so much more to manage. And it's just, it's really frustrating because like everybody wants them. They're the ones in the middle of everything and they don't know how to grow that because how do you grow a company how do you scale a company when the reason why clients buy is because of you? Right. Do you work much with the actual offering, like what they provide as a service or their pricing model or their value proposition, or is it more uh, internal systems, processes, people? Well, the thing is, is the internal the people, processes and systems and all that, those are all dependent on the foundation of the businesses, which they, what they sell. So that's the first thing that we really look at after we kind of find that time for them, because we need to be looking at you know, creating that success map that I was mentioning that I have for my business for, you know, how do we take the customer from, you know, this discovery process and the sales process to like, you know, onboarding this new customer. And then how do we bring them on through the process to completion and then, you know, offer them more value. And so the cycle starts over again. So one of the problems I see is that conceptually they know they need to do this, but there's so many different things that they're doing that they can't actually do that. So you need to be breaking it down and looking at what is the 20% of what we're doing that's bringing in 80% of the profits. And um, who are we working with that are the best kind of clients that are the easiest to get results for? You know, some of the things I've already mentioned and, and looking at what I call a service product, like what is that service product going to be? And you might have several of them, but I recommend to start with one of them. And, um, when you do that, it allows you to then focus your marketing, then know what roles that you need to fill. It reduces the amount of labor you need for each one of those roles. And, uh, just generally it simplifies the whole business and it's what allows you to scale and you can scale profits instead of scaling more of what you already have, which is a mess. I love it. And that's definitely, you know, that area where we really kind of overlap in our thinking for sure. I mean, the, it's so true that the idea of becoming so focused on a problem and a specific solution or like, you know, your company coming up with the best solution for that and for a very specific target customer, that's what then enables you to actually go do marketing and put people in place in a really efficient process. Because the challenge 
I've seen it myself from years past, and I see it with a lot of people where they're a marketing agency or they're a development shop or something, and they can do everything. Like they have the ability to do everything if they wanted to, but you can't actively push on marketing for that. You don't know who you're serving if you can literally do anything for anyone. Yeah, definitely. And there's one client that I'm working with right now who is, he has an SEO business and this this exact thing, he just comes back, well, I could do all of these things. It's just like, it's like, well, how do I add value? And I just pretty much do the same thing for each customer. And it's like, well, you add a lot of value simply by just changing who your target market is. Just by saying, we work with these people and you're adding a zero onto your results. I mean, that's, you're adding a zero onto how much money you can make. And at the end of the day, the clients are typically kind of only hiring you for one thing, even though you might be delivering 10, 20 different things to the clients. At the end of the day, the reason why they keep paying you is probably because of one thing. And it's not always totally clear what that one thing is, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. And what I tell my clients to do, and I practice what I preach here, is to guarantee their services, like guarantee something in the service. That's always a stretch for everyone. They're just like, oh, that. how could I do that? What if this and what if that? But based on a certain number of parameters, and when you put it that way, it forces you to qualify your clients. It forces you to only work the, with the very best kind of clients. And when you do that, it forces you to actually like have a good sales strategy in place because you can't just take whatever referral you got this last week because it's not going to fit in your business and you can't guarantee the results. And this is one of the things that I see, like a huge break that I see in the marketing industry, actually, where these marketing agencies just kind of take on any client and some will work out and some of them won't. And um, the industry has a really bad reputation for quite hit or miss results. And I think the biggest contributing factor to that is because these marketing companies don't know who they can get the best results for and what conditions have to apply for them to get these results. And when they know that, that's when they can guarantee their services. That's when they can start, you know, jacking up their prices and it makes sales like effortless. It makes sales so much easier. Interesting. That is a really good way of putting it. You know, I actually haven't thought about it in those terms where if you guarantee the results, then you do have to be just a lot more careful about who you take on to start working with. And then that can result in even stronger referrals because you're driving these amazing results. I wanted to ask about that challenge that I think you touched on earlier that you hear from folks. I think I certainly experienced it where, you know, you've grown the team to a certain level, you've got systems in place, but you need to bring in a higher level person. And in order to afford that person, you need to drive more profits to be able to fund that new position to truly remove the founder and really gain maybe not just 10 hours, but get all 40 hours back, you know? So how do you kind of work through that challenge with your clients? So then, all right, so I want to make sure that the context on this is really important because what a company does at like $75,000 a year, for example, is different than what a company does at like half a million dollars a year. So like they need to hire the next person and they need to make that transition. Um, so I'm just going to take a stab at it. And if I feel like it doesn't apply to someone, I'll, I'll let you know. Cause that's one thing that's like, I'm really careful about is like giving advice that's specific for people. Because if you take the wrong advice at the uh, a time in your business or the right advice at the wrong time, it's what causes you to spin your wheels. So I want to be responsible here with that advice I give. So the most universal thing everybody could do is just to find more time. You find more time and you do that by looking at what are the biggest way that I could like carve out some more time and the one that I time I see universally that t- tends to work is to just take your peak hour of the day, one hour, and you block that off and you don't let anyone interrupt you. And you just like bam out, you get twice as much work done. You get twice as much work done. That's five extra hours per week 
That's uh, 20 extra productive hours a month. Now you can use those 20 extra productive hours a month to jump in and really like sell, sell, sell. So you bring in the revenue for that. And then money tends to fix a lot of problems. Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge, right? Is like, it's finding that profitability to be able to invest more in a person to take. So you've got costs to support the existing team, support yourself, support whatever marketing you're doing, but then to have that additional chunk to bring in a higher level COO or CEO to run a service business. Like that seems like a leap that, I mean, I I know that I've kind of struggled with that. And like we talked about earlier, there's the challenge of going from zero to one, you know, 75,000 a year, you're going beyond yourself to start hiring help. That's a big challenge. But then there's this like second challenge around half a million a year where it's like, you've got a team around you and you can delegate tasks and have systems and processes, but that higher level like, I don't know if it's middle management or upper management that j- is, is a tough uh, to crack. It's that first layer of management. And I want to touch on that, but I'm going to jump back to what I was talking about with the peak time, just so that I don't leave people hanging. I want to actually give your audience something that it's actionable. So I mentioned that peak time and where this peak time is, is that I've done like a lot of testing in this. And what I've found from my own testing with entrepreneurs, most of them is service businesses, And they range in going effectiveness with time management from like being extremely ADD all the way up to like really focused. And what I found that is like that the the peak time is like the biggest, easiest change to implement. So what I've found is for about 95% of the population, your peak hours are in the morning. So what you do is you start your first hour in the morning, earlier the better. Some entrepreneurs start their day too late and they are wasting away some of the most productive hours of the day. So there might be some changes that are required for you to actually get in line with this peak time, by the way, that might mean going to sleep earlier. That might mean that you actually have to stick with this for a week or so until your body adjusts. But I've seen this even with people who were like, they were so sure there were night owls and it was, they were night owls because of their personal habits. Now there are some people who really are legitimate night owls. They are a very small minority of the population. So those people are going to know when their best time are. But the way it works is that our peak uh, alertness cycle it picks up around 7 a.m. and peaks around uh, 10 o'clock. And then it starts to go down around noon and it's a big, huge spike right around um, noon when you're eating and it goes down. And then there's another bump up around like three or four o'clock or anything. So anyway, what we wanna be doing is working within the rhythms, the natural rhythms of our body and just take that first hour of the day and block it off and uh, know exactly what you're gonna be working on. Maybe you've, you might have, good systems already in place where you know exactly where you're going to be working on, what that top priority thing that you can do to grow the company. Maybe it's a little note card that you write a couple things, write one thing that you're going to be doing on. So those are some ideas, but the really most important thing is to focus that peak time. It's so simple that most people listening probably won't do it. And I know that I've been guilty of not doing it as well, (laughs) but, um, it makes such a big difference. It really, really does. I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. I've become such a morning person and I feel like my morning, especially the early morning hours are just sacred. Like if I have distractions or obligations, I feel bad saying this, my three-year-old and one-year-old, it's like (laughs) when they're around seven, eight a.m. and I'm like, that is when I need to be grinding, you know? And, you know, it's just, but it is what it is. Um, But yeah, like if I get a chance to, if I happen to wake up, crazy early 5am and I can't get back to sleep. Like that's like a found two, three hours there that I can get so much done. But yeah, just the morning hours up until lunchtime for me have just been absolutely huge. And what I try to do is, you know, calls like my Calendly is mostly open for the afternoon for doing calls. 
emails. I shouldn't check email as often as I do, but I try not to really get into email until late morning and try to get a lot of real work done before that. Um, bulletproof coffee is key. It has been really good for me for the last few years. Really keeps that focus going. And- yeah. You're touching on a lot of things that, that I teach too. And I, I have like a, some steps that I go through. And I think I might have that in a, in a resource that I can share with the audience. But um, back to that, that question you had, this is really an important thing to talk about, you know, going from where the business owner is just like delegating out things. They're what I call the monkey in the middle. And he or she is, is throwing things out left and right. And I can't talk about this without actually doing the hand motions for you, Brian. Um, <laughs> for those listening, you know, Maddie's doing the, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm dancing like a monkey. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Um, but they're in the middle passing things off left and right. And the problem is, is that all of the accountability is just, is all on their shoulders and it's an enormous burden to carry. So what I recommend is obviously the most ideal thing is to hire a high level person who can take all that and make manage all that, like an operations manager. That's not realistic for some companies. Maybe they're not ready for that yet. So a step down from that is a really good project manager. And I'm not just talking about a project manager like that's going to manage like a web design project. I'm talking about a project manager that can manage just like kind of the operations day to day in the company and making sure things are done on a regular interval and all that. And who is the one that catches things before they fall into the cracks? And um, that's a very important role, but that's someone that you could hire at 10 hours a week for example. And there's no reason why most companies can't jump for that. And something that can hold them back, I learned this through working with my own clients, is that one of the things that can hold them back from doing that is they don't have a good system in place in their company for a project manager to come in and actually like operate, right? So at that point, you can find someone who's really high level and who can come in and kind of sort through the mess and like create systems for it. Or you can find someone who, you know, like uh, my project manager we actually have her do consulting and setting, going in in a company and helping them set up the system for it. And then you can hire a good project manager, but not someone who necessarily has to have that high level of operations experience, but who can execute the process well. So those are some different options, but the most important thing that I want to stress is to get the accountability from the business owner off to the different people on the team. So really empowering them to be taking on ownership for these different things. So the buck doesn't always have to stop with the owner. Yeah, that's so true. I've had really good success with project managers on a part-time basis. Like you're right. Like that's kind of a misconception that project manager, oh, it has to be a full-time position, but there are plenty of really, really talented people who, I mean, some of my managers don't want to, or don't intend to go full-time on that. Like they like the idea of being a freelance or not freelance, but just part-time contract Half their week goes to managing things in my company. The other half, either they're a stay-at-home mom or they have other freelance projects going on, things like that. There are plenty of people out there, and that's a really good kind of middle ground for sure. You know, and I've heard Laura Roeder, who put together really good training around hiring project managers. I don't even know if it's still available to buy anymore. But that was one thing that she stressed that they had a lot of great success with hiring part-time project managers who were stay-at-home moms who just wanted to keep one foot in the market. And they loved working, but they just didn't want to have that be their whole life. And you can get really great talent that way. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, you know, before we kind of wrap up, I did want to, you know, I guess I'm doing this a little bit backwards, but maybe we can like jump back into your story. Like what were you doing before you got into all of this? So I think you mentioned you had a marketing company before this. I'm curious to know what was your previous professional life and then what led you to making this transition into what you're doing now? Yeah. So I didn't exactly think I, I didn't know how I was going to get here um, is interesting, but I think that as a teenager, you know, when you, they ask you like, what do you do want to do when you grow up? And, um, I know this is kind of a funny thing to share. It's kind of dumb, but like, I just, for some reason thought it would be, it may be a good idea. But I said, like, you know what? I want to get paid to tell people what to do. And, and it was kind of a joke, but I was kind of serious about it too. I'm like, if that was possible, I was, you know, just being kind of a cheeky. Hey, you weren't far off, huh? I was, yeah, I was being kind of a cheeky teenager at the time, but I knew I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I didn't know exactly how that was going to be. But if I would have looked and said, this is exactly where I want to be, this is exactly where I would have been very happy with if I was looking forward, you know, you know, 10, 20 years. So, but how I got into this, I used to manage properties. I was property manager and, um, really good at it. I was very good at it. Very good at the marketing, very good at getting this whole thing running without me. I just loved the the whole aspect of just squeezing money out of any way and just doing it through adding value and doing it ethically. And it was kind of a game for me because the owners of the property were very unethical people. So I was trying to find ways to like make as much money for them as possible doing it the right way. So after I was successful doing that, I'm like, all right, I'm going to start my own company. So the skills that I had was I had a little bit of graphic design skills from college. I'm an artist too. So I figured, all right, I can figure that out. So I read all the books at the Multnomah County Library. That's in Portland if anyone's listening. (laughs) I read all the books in the library on there. And I figured out how to do this and how to, to do web design. And I grew this company. And from this company, I got to a point where I was more and more successful. And I was also becoming more and more pregnant. I was uh, about eight and a half months pregnant and um, everything just kind of fell apart in my business at this time. I was trying to get projects completed for clients who weren't getting me the things back to them, who just were just kind of waiting. And I'm like, here, I've got this baby coming out anytime. We got to like, let's go move along. And I had developers who just dropped on the face of the earth. And I just like, I was left cleaning up all the pieces and it was like the most stressful time in my life. It was really quite awful. It was when my husband was in this graduate medical program too. So I saw the kind of business I could have had and I didn't have, and it was a total mess and I was really frustrated. And that's what actually inspired me to do the work I'm doing now. And it led me to do a lot of testing, a lot of research. And then at that point I realized that like, this is where my calling was. So I sold that business to my partner at the time. And, and I'm now doing this and I've been doing this for five years. Wow. Okay. So five years ago, it was when that changed. I'm always fascinated with those massive career changes for entrepreneurs, right? You know, because like you've been doing something for several years, it's working well enough, it's kind of growing and you've been successful with it, but it's becoming frustrating. Like to make the decision to kind of like, I mean, you sold the business, but like in a way, it's kind of like throwing away the thing that's been working for you for a while to start something completely new. I mean, I don't know about other people listening or you, but for me, the whole idea of like the entrepreneur being like totally risk averse, like I don't really resonate with that. You know, I'm, I'm just afraid of risks as anyone else, but it's like, it's part of the job to like every few years to kind of reinvent what you've been doing. So I'm curious about that. Like when you made that change, obviously having kids and then, but getting into the consulting coaching business, like where did you even begin? Like, so you sold off your business what was kind of step number one? Like, how did you get started on that? 
selling the business, it was just kind of a handoff. I mean, I could have made this be a lot more valuable, I mean, the lesson learned there than I was, but I got some money out of an asset that basically was worthless because it couldn't have run without me. But I was very happy that I did make some money off of that, which is really great. But um, that came after I'd really made a different decision on that. What, what I was really looking at was like, how do I create this company that, that can be generating profits without me? I had this dream that while I was sitting there on my maternity leave, that maybe I could check in for five to 10 hours, like five hours a week. I could check in things going along and keep projects going along with my team delivering it. And I could, I still have an income and, um, I could see that I could see kind of how to do it, but there was this transition that I just couldn't make. And it just really frustrated me that I couldn't make that when I had done the same thing in a business that I had managed before. That's what really drove me to like find the solution. And in me finding the solution was where I really found my calling. So that's how it, that transition happened. And I didn't really even know that that was what I was doing at the time. I just kind of took the next step and I took the next step. And that's like, like you, when you're, you're talking about being risk averse, I mean, as an entrepreneur, that's like what you do. You like, if you like sit there and just think of all the risk and how scary, ah, you know, you just like, you won't take any action at all. So you just have to take the next one. Exactly. Yeah. Like the risk is not moving, not changing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Brian. And like, just how did you get like those first contacts, those first clients for the new thing? So I think I was through networking what I was, oh, I, I know what I did. I did avatar interviews. That's what I did. I was doing market research. I did market research and through just asking a series of questions. And by the way, the template I use, go to handsoffceo.com forward slash avatar. That's a template right there you could use for it. There's no opt-in on that one or anything. You just go to it, but that's what I used. So I just like asked all these questions basically about their pain points and like, you know, after an hour, you know, 30 minutes, an hour of them telling me all these pain points they had, like, you know, they were really curious about if I had the solution for them. And at the time I like kind of knew I had some ideas, but I didn't really exactly know what I was doing. Like looking at it from the, the place where I'm now, I know what I'm doing at the time. Comparatively speaking, I didn't really, but I did enough. I did enough to be able to change this person's life. So that first client I brought on and it really changed his life and it's allowed him to like travel around the world. And, you know, and I, and I said, I didn't know what I was doing. I did, but I just kind of like, just looking at it now, just in comparison. I mean, of course your, your solution has grown, become much more structured and everything, but even at the time, just the value of having somebody with fresh eyes come in and look at something like an outside opinion, there's value in that alone. Yeah. And you know, and I had done this already in another company and I knew how to do it. And really like the kind of the takeaway I hope that people listening get is this, it's just like, don't be afraid to have a really big offer, a really big outcome and say, you know, I'm going to help you do this and stand by it and guarantee it. And you know, worst case scenario is you give them their money back. But most of the time you don't really have to, if you think you can help them and if you're willing to do what it takes, do whatever it takes to help them get that outcome then you will discover things about yourself and about your service that like you can find in no other way. I love it. This is how I've grown my company doing one of those things after another, after another, after another. It's just that a big giant scientific study and it's, it's been a blast. Yeah. Whole lot of wisdom here. I feel like we've only scratched the surface. There's so much more we can dig into, but you should go check out handsoffceo.com over on the blog. We will link up. Was that handsoffceo.com slash avatar? Yeah, that I mean, that doesn't have a lot of resources. I was just mentioning that just in case there's someone who's, they want to look at some different problems they might solve. That's the thing. You just go after the problem. 
and then the solution appears. But what the resource, if I may share with your audience, which I think that they'll really like, and this will also add them to my email list, which is good because I'm launching a book here in the fall and there's going to be a free day that you can download it for free. This book is called hands-off service growth and the all proceeds benefit operation underground railroad, which saves children from sex trafficking. So it's a project I'm really excited about. And if you go to handsoffco.com and then forward slash roadmap, then you can download my five-step system and it includes the find time. Now we talked a little bit about too. Yeah. Really valuable resource that walks you through the five steps on how to get your service business basically running without you. That's fantastic. So yeah, we will get all that linked up in the show notes. And yeah, thank you so much, Mandy, for taking the time. This has been awesome. It's been my pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Hey, did you know that you can get all of these show notes and highlights and links for every new episode sent straight to your inbox by going to productizepodcast.com. Sign up for the email list. Yep, it's all there. And while you're at it, a five-star review on iTunes always helps the show find more listeners just like you and me. Okay, that does it for today. Late. Late.